Jim H. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be up here. Um, my name's Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Jim. Um, I do other mind-altering substances, too. But not anymore. Um, my sobriety date this time is 10-5-10. Uh, uh, through the grace of God and this great program and great people. Because I tell you, this is not uh, something you can do by yourself. I could never do it. I wanted to do it by myself. Um, but I couldn't. Um, I started uh, going to AA when I was 23, so that was back in eight, 85, I believe. And I was in and out for about um, three years. I got about a year, six months, a couple times in that. And I stayed sober 12 years. And then I relapsed, and I was in and out for 10 years. And um, so I sobered up again, and I'm working on nine plus years now. Um, it is a day at a time, but uh, it's a day at a time, it's a commitment a day at a time. So I talk a lot about the steps because my story is so spread out. Um, but like I grew up, uh, I was born in Ireland, I was adopted uh, in New York, I was adopted by two alcoholic rageaholics. Um, so I had a very alcoholic uh, Childhood, uh, I, I, I probably had the mind of a chronic alcoholic before I ever started drinking, because <laughs> uh, I think alcoholism is a state of mind as well as a state of being, and um, and I thank God for AA because AA told me, you know, they said, you know, when I got here, my first AA meeting I made, when I got there, they were so nice to me, and they gave me a half cup of coffee because I was really sick. And I was starting to go into withdrawals. And they said, we really love you and we're glad you're here, but uh, you, need to be more, you, need, you need to be in a hospital more than you need to be in an AA meeting. And, and I thought to myself, I said, well, I said, what's these people's fucking problem? <laughs> I said, I've been living this way for years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and when I think about that, that shows you how, how wretched and horrible of a disease alcoholism is. Because I couldn't understand their concern. I was just going through, you know, DTs again, you know. It was just a way of life for me, you know. Uh, real horrific uh, um, withdrawals. And, um, and uh, so there's a consequence to that. And I went to my cardiologist yesterday. And um, I've got a normal EKG, so. Because I've had... Uh, some problems with the ticker as far as the AFib and some stuff, and some irregular heartbeat, but I had a normal e EKG, mm. you know? And that was uh, after I had turned down um, two surgical procedures a couple, about two weeks, three weeks earlier. I said, no, I think, I think there's another way. <laughs> and I'm, I'm very lucky, though, I'm very lucky. To, I'm lucky to have my health and, and you know, I. I come to these meetings to be reminded of how important it is to, to, to not take this for granted and not take what AA's done for me because the unmanageability in the first step is I did not know how to live. I knew I was powerless over alcohol. I knew I was powerless over drugs. And I knew that way before I got here, way before I started going to meetings. 
But the one thing I did not want to admit is that I had no idea how to live. I had no idea how to deal with this thing and what goes on up here. I had no idea to deal with this, the emotions. I had no idea of like um, how to deal with life and how not to be overwhelmed by life and be overwhelmed by everything in life. And, um, you know, and that was, that was the hardest part for me. And that still is the hardest part in the first step. Um, and, uh, uh, when I got here, the step that, that, that pissed me off, um, and made me extremely, extremely angry was the second step, second step, you know, cause I said, Hey, you know, who you calling crazy, <laughs> you know? And that's a guy who's saying, what's wrong with these people? When they're 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 horrified to see me going into DTs and and being in the meeting where they're saying, man, please, you know, you need to be in the hospital. You need medical treatment. You know, you're you're in bad shape. I'm like, what? This is the way I live, buddy. And um, that's that insanity, you know. And I, I don't like it. And um, I think sobriety is really um, uh, sanity is based on uh, faith. And insanity is based on fear. So if you got a lot of fear in your life, you got a lot of insanity. You know? So, because fear is so bad, it, it distorts everything. If you notice, I went to the grocery store this morning. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> let's just say I was glad to make it out alive. You know what I mean? I mean, people were really, you know, aggressive. And, uh, and I said, is this uh, insanity? Is this fear? Fear. And I always got to remember that. You know, because whenever I'm feeling crazy, I always got to go, hey, hey, what is that? Isn't that fear? And it's, is, is, why do we have these fears? The big book always says that. And I'm a big fan of the big book. Um, why do we have these fears? It's cause, isn't it because self-reliance failed us? Isn't that, isn't that what it is? Um, I don't know why I want to live this life by myself when so many people are willing to help me. You know what I mean? I got asked to speak at this meeting and then I look around and go, this room, look at how many people are here. So people are here to help me speak because they're here for me to, to, to help me. And, um, you know, and that's the loneliness of alcoholism and that's the insanity of alcoholism, to think that you're by yourself, to think that you're alone in this, you know, and... I love AA because I, it's, it stopped me from that. It said, you know, I got in a room full of people that could tell me how alone I felt and how broken I felt and how secretive I felt about how I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk about that I, I drank so much because I knew it was killing me, but facing my fears and facing my uh, feeling of inadequacy to deal with life was so terrifying. And now I can come in here and, and grab any one of you and say, man, I'm falling to pieces. I'm falling to pieces, man. Because it ain't about looking good. It's not about sounding good. There's no big eyes or little yous in here. There's no gurus in here. You know, the big book says what we have really is a daily reprieve. Contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So I'm not... 
I'm not in here. I'm in here to save my life because alcoholism is a fatal disease. And if you don't believe that, stay, stay around here and pay attention and watch people die in these rooms. Watch them die. Watch them go back to drink and die. And, um, you know, and I got to remember that because I'm the only guy who can look at death and go, what? you know, because they said, hey, you either pick up this kid at Spiritual Tools Gym, lay it at your feet, or go on to the bitter end. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> you know, if I feel like it, maybe, maybe. You know, but my insanity said, well, I got other options. And uh, I had other options in my insane brain, but I didn't have any options that would work. I, I didn't have any options that I could make happen. And that's the other thing about insanity, because insanity is a big part of this disease. No matter how many years or days you got sober, or no matter how smart you think you are, that insanity is a big thing, because... This is a spiritual, mental, and physical disease. And, and the big book says that alcoholism is centered in the alcoholic's mind. So that's why step two is so important. Because what will get me drunk is this mind. Because this mind will say, hey, fuck it. I'm going to get drunk. How do you like that? How do you like that? Am I the only one that's ever done that? <laughs> a room full of people. Hey, I'm in the right room. But, um, but then I don't think about the consequences. I don't think about the, the violent withdrawals, the hospitalizations, the arrests, the ugly things I say to people that I really love and don't want to hurt. You know? So... Um, Ask somebody, if you're not sure if you're sane or not, ask somebody that's like working this program. Ask them, am I sane? And sometimes I have to do that. And I, there's no shame in that. There is no shame in asking for help. And when I got here, I thought that was the worst thing on earth. People were like, hey, Jim, you know, you, can we do anything to help? No, no. I feel like I'm about to die inside. But no, I don't need anybody's help. Because... <laughs> Where I come from, you don't ask for help. You know, you don't tell people, hey, I'm dying inside. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm going to fall on the floor and drop dead. I'm in so much pain. And that's how I came to AA. And yet, I, when people ask me, can we do anything help? No. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Why would I accept help when I'm doing so well? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, so. And, and I've, I've got to remember that. So, you know, if, if, uh, and I, I try to ask God, you know, to keep me sane. And, and what I learned for sanity is that action is my integrity. So if you want to be sober, ask yourself, what am I doing to stay sober today? Not what I'm feeling or thinking or what I'm going to do. Ask yourself what you're doing to stay sober. Because if you don't answer that with action, then you might not be staying sober for very long. And that's the way I was taught in here. You know? Because, I mean, I'm delusional. You know? 
And how I learned that is I took another spiritual practice. I took some Aikido. And that's real spiritual. You say, come and guess, miss, teach me the way of spirit in Japanese. And I was doing this Aikido stuff, and I was starting to, my ego and my delusion said, hey, you're getting to be a bad motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, it's time to get the YouTube video going. <laughs> and then I went to this session where I had two and a half hours, this real long practice, and I was beaten severely <laughs> for two and a half hours. <laughs> See, because my ego and delusion met reality, and reality beat the shit out of me. <laughs> and I was, I was crushed. My ego was deflating. And, uh, and, I, and I really said, action is your integrity, Jim. So don't go telling yourself stories that don't have any action back to it. You know, and, and I, I've got to remember that, and that's why I'm up here, because i got to, you know, i got to remember how important this is to me. And um, the, the third step is, you know, the third step is another one. I grew up in a church where I didn't agree with them. I didn't, had some real bad experiences with some priests and stuff like that, but I don't want to get into that. Um, the other thing about that, I was just terrified to even come up with God because I figured God's like me, and if God's like me, then he's holding a hell of a lot of resentments against me. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got it all written down. Ah, Jim did this, Jim stole that. <laughs> you know? And, uh, Jim's, Jim's a bad person, and he tells himself he's a bad person 24-7 in his head. And, uh, and, that, uh, you know, and that goes back to that second step where they say you've got to stop playing God. You've got to quit playing God. You're not God. And so the third step is like, hey, let, let's see, I'm dying of this fatal disease that will never let go because it like lives up here and, and it ain't going to leave me alone. So these crazy AA people keep telling me, well, you know, God wants you happy, joyous, and free, Jim. That's God's will for you. And I'm like, what? You know, I thought this was a punishment place because I was driven here by the courts because of some DUI or something, DWI. DWI was back in DWI days. So. But, uh, so I've looked at AA as a punishment. But AA is not a punishment. It's like, you know, I can have the spirit of sobriety because, I mean, God's easy for me now because I, I, I have a fatal disease. It's like, you know, you go to a cancer ward and say to those people, <laughs> hey, you want to you wanna get over this cancer and not have to take any of this radiation or chemo? You just go to these stupid meetings for an hour a day and you believe in God and work these 12 steps, those people would run you over coming out the door. They'd say, man, are you kidding me? And I'm not going to have to go through and I'm going to be over this fatal disease? But alcoholics are like, huh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I've got some issues, man. I've got issues. I think you're trying to lay too much on me right now. <laughs> you know, I'm going to lay in my misery just a little longer. Just a little longer. You know? Um, and, and uh, you know, and that's the other thing about this disease. You can't bargain with it. I always tried to bargain with this disease. I always said, oh, well, I'll do this and then this and that. No, this is a merciless obsession. It's a merciless obsession. 
and that uh, the four step you know we talk about the four step in here a lot and the four step is oh I'm so scared of that and um, the four step is about uh, breaking isolation and realizing that we have a lot of similarities especially in the four step and um, the four step is that you know I don't have to be afraid of anything except of my isolation, my isolating myself, my condemning myself, you know. Um, I'm a human being who has alcoholism. And um, I was maladjusted to life like it says in the doctor's opinion, you know. And, the, you know, I'm a big, big book guy because the doctor's opinion says that an alcoholic is more than maladjusted life. He's more than an outright mental defective. He's full flight from reality. And that, of course, goes back to the second step, you know. But, but like I said, the fourth step shows that. Um, that I can either, like, the four steps I do now or the inventories I do now are more about am I still pursuing sex, security, or society, or am I pursuing God's will? You know what I mean? Because am I still saying that if I can find something outside of me to fix me, I'm going to be okay? Am I still saying that? Am I still believing that? Because if I am, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'm in a lot of trouble. Because there's no... um, There's nothing outside of me that's going to fix me. It may temporarily soothe me, but it's not going to fix me. Sobriety is an inside job. And that's why we work these steps. We don't work these steps so that I can say, I did a, I did a 30 page far step, buddy, <laughs> in AA meetings. <laughs> we do these steps because we do this because we, we're, we need to heal. We're hurt. You know, we're hurt. We're wounded. We are wounded, man. Because when I drink, I become a rabid dog, a rabid animal. Uh, I, I wouldn't insult a dog, but I mean, I become a like <laughs> Dr. Jekyll, man. You know, Mr. Hyde, uh, and uh, I, I become a, a a wounded animal. And um, we do these things. We take these inventories to to say, hey, what has to change? What has to change? Or what's not working? And what's not working? What ideas do I? What beliefs do I have that are not working? I came in these rooms with beliefs that were killing me. And I had a sponsor say, hey, Jim, if you don't change the way you think, you're, you're going to drink again. Because the way you believe, you know, you know you're going to kill yourself. You know, because you, you, you've got to have a psychic change. And that's the whole thing they keep saying in here. And I'm like, what? What? <laughs> I think fine. Everything I think is right. You know, because I'm an alcoholic, self will run riot. I got an egomania, inferiority. When I'm in egomania, everything I think and know is right. It's without question. And then I got an inferiority when life gets hard. I can go there, I can't handle anything. I want to run, I want to hide, I want to crawl under a rock. And um, now I'm a human being. And that's the other thing that alcoholism took from me it took my humanity from me. It took my humanity from me because I was living in such extremes. 
And I was antisocial and I was, I was very antisocial and I was very moody and even in sobriety. Because when I'm in fear, I push people away. I do the opposite of what I should be doing when I'm in fear. When I'm in fear, I should be going, hey, somebody help me because I'm scared. I'm frightened. You know, whatever the fear is. You know, because I don't want to have fear. I'm not going to, I don't want to have fear. But sometimes I have fear. And you know what I learned in here is that if you talk about your fear, people help you with it. And they help you walk through it. You know, instead of like going, oh, it's, it's not there. It's not there. Because <laughs> you know? as an alcoholic, that's what I tend to want to do. Say, oh, it's, it's not there. You know? It's not there. I'm not, I'm not afraid <laughs> either. Uh, and uh, so that fourth step is, is about taking that inventory and finding out. And also finding out, you know, what the other thing you find out is that other people are hurting really bad too. So once you start getting honest with yourself, I can hear other people now. And I know what's hurting them. You know what I mean? Because they're beating around the bush, they're not being direct with me, but there's, I can tell what's hurting them because I've done the, the inventory work. And I do it with people outside these rooms because a lot of people outside these rooms are hurting really bad. Really bad. And they have no tool kit like we do. They have no way of addressing it. You know, except trying to hold it in, <laughs> like I used to always do. Hold it in. I'm going to hold it in. And uh, so the fourth step is is what, what works and what doesn't work in your life. Um, it's an inventory. It's uh, what, what is destroying you. Um, what belief um, am I willing to at least work on? And you know, in, in the fourth step, I had to do it with my sponsor, and I had to tell him about something that I was terrified to face. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm telling you this, but I still, I still don't want to deal with it. I still want to run away from it. You know? And I thought he was going to start yelling at me, but he said, I understand. <laughs> I understand, Jim. I understand. And maybe, you know, I'm glad you could talk to me about that. Because I couldn't even, I, did, I was like, I, if I tell him that, he's going to start yelling at me and saying, you gotta, you got to deal with this. And um, and it wasn't until uh, a, a, a couple months later that I dealt with it. I was just afraid. I was afraid. And um, and I used to be so ashamed of that. And I used to be so ashamed of my track record in here that I started going to AA in '85, and my 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 new sobriety date's ten five ten. And then I said, well, you know, the reason I was ashamed of that is because I never fully conceded in my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, and that there's no hope for me. There's no hope for me without spiritual help. I'm beyond human aid. I need AA. I need AA. This is the last house on the block. You know, uh, this is all I have, but yet AA opens the whole world to you. You know, it opens the whole world to you. And the fifth step is, uh, it's important you find somebody that's grown up to do the fifth step with. You need people that, are, are, that can keep a confidence. And somebody that's mature. And somebody that doesn't want to run your life or give you extreme advice. And I, I, had a, I did a fifth step with a sponsor and 
my sponsor, and he said, uh, he said, is there, uh, after I did it with him, I, I felt like when I, when I got done with it with him, and he really helped me through it, and it, we took a, you know, it took a little while, I don't know how, how long it was, it was a few hours at least, but we did it, and, um, and I didn't have a vehicle back then, my sponsor gave me a ride home, and when I got out of his truck and walked to my apartment, I felt like I was walking on air. I said, I'm walking on air. That's how, how good I feel, because why carry all this shit around? You know what I mean? But you know, when, you get, when I got here, this stuff was just terrifying, and sometimes it still is, because I grew up in an alcoholic home, so I, I knew everything the opposite. I knew everything the opposite of AA. That you keep everything buried inside, you know, you pretend, oh yeah, I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, I'm ready, I'm ready to blow my brains out, but I'm doing great. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, uh, it's just a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and uh, you know, and then the sixth step, man. Wow, that's. That's one, wow, that's a hard one. <laughs> that, that's what I'm like, what? Huh. You know, and uh, so the sixth step is uh, these, once again, we're going back into fear. The sixth step is fear. Why do, why do, I, why do I go to extremes? Why do I need more, more candy? Why do I need more food? You know? Why do I gotta keep score? You know, why is that? Why is why do I have to say? Well, that guy's got a nicer bicycle than me, so I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and and you know when you get here, you're that way because you're so. Well, I was. You know, you're so small. You're so envious. And I didn't want to be in my own skin, so I I was looking always outside, 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 outside. And now I realize that you know. You know, the sixth step is so important because it's it's all my defects, gossip, all that listening to gossip, making judge harsh judgments about myself or others is fear. Fear. And fear kills faith. And see, if I don't have a faith that works, I drink. See, because that's what alcoholics do. See, because I drank, I'm in this chair because I drink when I don't want to drink. And I take drugs when I don't want to take drugs. And see, I need faith and I need a power greater than me. And, and the only way I keep that power greater than me is with faith. So sixth step is really, uh, really weed in the garden. Like what, what extreme do I, you know, because six steps about extremes, you know? Like there's nothing wrong with a little ice cream, but three bowls, four bowls, that's, it's getting out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know, it gets it gets out of hand quick. And when when whenever I catch myself in these extremes, then I know I'm in fear. You know, and when you know, and I used to think I was lazy because I procrastinated, and I I wasn't lazy. I was terrified. That's why I procrastinate. I don't procrastinate because usually I'm a, I'm a guy who likes to get things done. I feel a lot so much better about myself when I get things done. But man, when I have fear, I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> and now because of this program, I can, 
I can talk uh, with other people and say, hey, you know, um, they say, well, you go to work today? Nope. And they go, all right, well, you know, I, we know you make your own hours, but are you going to go? <laughs> and they say, is there something you need to talk about? Well, maybe. You know, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, then I start talking. and Because um, I've got to show up for life. And that's the hardest thing. Because when you got that fear on you, it's a lot easier to say, well, Joe Blow over there relapsed. I'm better than he is. But... You know, I'm, 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 that's not my, my, my inventory. My inventory is, um, what are you afraid of? And what, why it's bringing up these extremes? What is bringing in these extremes and why? Why are you going to these extremes? And why are you like, uh, up till three in the morning watching Netflix? Ah, 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 what? I missed part. <laughs> you know? And, and it's because I'm, I'm afraid of something. You know, it's not that I'm just binge watching. I'm, I'm running away from life. And, and that's why I became an addict and alcoholic. Because I want to anesthetize my feelings. And I want to anesthetize my, my fear. I wanted my, I wanted my fear to go away. And fear does go, fear does go away, but you have to walk through it. And you have to ask for help. You know... And that's, that is so like, what? Because <laughs> then I got double the fear, especially when I first got here. But now you guys have taught me so much in here because you'll get what you need if you make a sincere effort. And um, step seven, you know, is humble, humbly, humbly. And, um, you know, and the humility is, is that no matter what, I mean, I... Give yourself credit for doing the footwork, but the miracle is God's. You know? Give yourself the credit for doing the footwork and work at this. But the humility is that I cannot rely on my own intellect and I can't rely on what I did yesterday. You know, I can't rely on other people going, man, Jim, you got a really good program. Because, well, you know, maybe I do, but if I don't practice it, it ain't worth shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's a daily practice. It's a daily discipline. And like I said, when I got here, because the courts got me here, I thought it was punishment, but it's not. It's about saving your life. And it's about... Because AA had to save my life. And then it had to make life worth saving. Because when I got here, I wasn't too happy with life. And even when I was here for a few months, I still wasn't happy about life. And I wasn't happy about anything, really. <laughs> and I was uh, pretty cynical about me ever being able to be like, you know, free and comfortable in my own skin and comfortable in my own head. And, and the, the, the seventh step is about humility. Like I got invited to, by these people that I know drink and I know they smoke weed. And they've invited me over to their house several times, and I love these people, and they're good people, and, but they were having a gathering, and I don't like that because I'm the only one straight. But they're good people. And so I went to that, but what I did is said, well, what would the humble thing to do? Well, I asked God, and I knew I was in good enough shape not to be tempted. And I said, well, you need to go early, and you need to help them. 
because they're entertaining and you need to go be a service so that it's not about you and I did that and I and I really and they really appreciated that they said man you're a really nice guy Jim but it's what I learned in here and then when people came I saw them go they felt uncomfortable so they went for the wine they went for the wine bottles but the one thing I noticed is that they had a couple glasses of wine and they cut that edge but after that they lost interest they got into food they got into other stuff but they weren't into wine and then, then nobody was smoking weed in there at the time and um, but I, I was there uh, to be a maximum service to God and my fellows and because of that I didn't um, I didn't feel awkward I didn't feel uncomfortable and um, I felt very blessed and um, so I can be comfortable wherever I am even if I'm around a room the only person sober and other people are drinking alcohol around me um, but these people were drinking the way I've always wanted to drink you know have a couple glasses of wine and then hey that's enough move on let's go eat um, and the, you know the A step is making a list of the people I've harmed and become willing to make amends to them and uh, I was told to put myself at the top of that because I had harmed myself the most. It wasn't giving me a free ride out of the other people I harmed, but I need to remember that I harmed me the most. And the ninth step was going in, the eighth step was going and discussing that with a sponsor and trying to get uh, the emotional clarity because on a lot of, on the hard amends, you have a lot of emotion to them. So don't go out and do them without talking with your sponsor and doing the other steps before. But really talk to your sponsor about that. Because you can do more damage. And I did that. I did that. Like I did that one time because I just wouldn't listen to my sponsor. Because I just had to listen to this. And, um, and I did more damage. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. I mean, I know it's perfect. But um, I had to clean that up, though. And the ninth step is going out and making those amends without making more damage. And the tenth step is back to that question. The tenth step, you know, is what do they say? It's daily reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Um, and the tenth step for me is always, Jim, what are you doing for your recovery today? What are you doing? And uh, what are you doing to help somebody else? You know, because if you're not, if you're not helping yourself, and and this is not a selfish program, it's a selfless program, but it's a practical program. Because spirituality is practical, and it says that in our literature. It says, "Ask God in your morning meditation what you can do for the man who's still sick." But obviously, you can't transmit something you haven't got. So see to it that your relationship with him is right. And great things shall come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. This is a great fact for us. You know? And I'm like, wow. Wow. So in other words, if I take care of myself, what I find is that I'm available to other people. And I don't even have to look for other people. They just come right there. <laughs> and because I'm spiritually fit and I'm sane, 
I go, ah, I noticed you have a little problem there. You seem to be bawling a lot. <laughs> no, I see. I, I'm able to be available to other people. You know what I mean? I'm able to make myself available. And, um, you know, the 11th step, the 11th step is what? Improve. Improve our conscious contact with God as we understand it. You know, we, we do it through prayer and meditation. We improve our conscious contact. So this isn't, um, I'm a done, I'm done program. I've done that AA stuff. I went to those classes and I'm done. No, it's the 10th step says continue. The 11th step says improve. And then the 12th step says practice. We, because we got to practice these principles in all our affairs. So we have to have, having had a spiritual awakening, we practice these principles in all our affairs. So that, that's saying to me that I can keep getting better. You know? That's saying to my drug addict in me that this is the best dope in town. Because if you work this program, you can keep getting better. You can get higher. And it's not the high that you have to be ashamed of. It's the high of like, golly. You know? I mean, I've helped people and I've cared about people and um, and I'm a guy who used to be looking over his shoulder for drug dealers and you know and police and you know whatever else <laughs> you know because I used to be uh, I sort of kind of lived in a sordid life you know uh, me being a practicing alcoholic and drug addict is not a very glamorous life it's not it's very tragic it's very sad it's very depraved. But yet, in this life, um, they're practicing these principles in all my affairs, you know. And one thing that I did, I was so lucky, I had about four years sober, and this guy outside of AA saw me, and he said, hey, I want to I talk to you. It was around Christmas. He said, I want to talk to you. And I said, oh, what? I was like, uh-oh, what did I do? <laughs> you know? And he said, you know, I want to thank you for all what you've done for me and, and what you've done for my family. You know, you've helped my family, you've helped me. And thank God I had enough time and enough step work because there was a part of me that said, no, don't say that because I'm bad. I'm bad. Don't say I'm good because <laughs> I've been telling myself all my life how bad I am. But I said, listen to this guy because this is what this guy's saying and maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. Who are you to say he's wrong? Listen to what he says and then say thank you to him. No, quit telling him. No, no, no. And and listen, maybe maybe you did help him. Maybe you did help his family. You know. And um, because I mean, and but I mean, you know, that goes into you know, I do the footwork. God does the miracle. So I don't get big headed because it's all praise to God. It's all praise to you guys because you guys are here for me. You guys are here for me tonight. And whenever I forget, because I've got the forget disease. And the forget disease is sometimes I forget. I forget to pray. I forget to read my big book. I forget to come to meetings. I forget to call people. I forget to let people know that I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I need to tell somebody that. I need to tell somebody that you need to help me because I'm afraid. Because I want to run away from life again. 
you know? And, um, you know, and the guy who taught me that, he started my first meeting I ever went to. And he sat in a room at a church out there in the country, out in Brenham. And he sat there every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 and read the big book. And, he, and because it was a small town community, nobody wanted to be called an alcoholic, so they wouldn't go in to that meeting. And he sat there until the first person walked in. And five years later, the first person walked in. He sat in that, that room for five years, reading the big by himself, eight to nine. You know? Now, he sobered up in the 50s, 1950. He sobered up in New York. He knew Bill and Bob. He knew Bill Wilson and Bob. And, um, and the guy he sobered up with, the, guy, the first guy who walked in was a guy named Ed Campbell. And he's a Korean Marine. And he's a real bad alcoholic, but he had money. And I got drunk with him several times. <laughs> and he used to go, I'm Ed Campbell, and I'm a ring. <laughs> I got a 45. And I've got whiskey and I got money. You want a drink? I said, Hell yeah. <laughs> Free booze? Free food? You, you, that's my order. <laughs> and the story about this the story about Ed Campbell is that Ed Campbell, Don Austin always said if it wasn't for him that the group would never would have got going. Because he tore people off the bar stools and dragged people into that meeting. And he said some of those people stayed. But Ed Campbell could never get sober. So he took that forty five and put it in his mouth and blew his brains out. Because this is a fatal disease. This is non-negotiable. You cannot bargain with alcoholism. You either pick up this kit of spiritual tools, lay it at your feet, or you go on to the bitter end, trying to blot this out of your consciousness as best you can. My advice to you is pick up this kit of spiritual tools and get to live a life better than you could ever imagine. Because Dr. Bob says that in his story. That if you'll put half the effort you put into your drinking, into this program, I can guarantee you a life better than you could ever imagine. You know, and just remember that every everybody, the world record, I always tell this to people, the world record for staying sober is 24 hours. You know, and I'm working on the world record. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause, and I love telling that to people that have relapsed because they're like, oh, I'm so proud. I had this, you know, I have two years, man. I go, well, hell, I'm, I only got today. <laughs> you know? You know, because, uh, and I've got to earn this, you know? But it's, what a reward. I mean, because you guys, you know, and what you guys have done for me. I mean, I could just, I could start crying just because of the gratitude of what people have done for me in AA. And I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.